Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and with me, seated right here, is the one and only, our co-host, Ray Jewell. Ray, welcome back. Thanks, Kevin. Really looking forward to this uh, ho- this guest today, and uh, just wait. You said you, you first uh, said, I host. said host. You're looking well, forward to spending I, time with me. I always spend, look of, forward of to spending course. time with you. So, <laughs> and you know, it's always been good ever since I've graduated to co-host. Yes, you got that big promotion with yeah. the big uh, uh, the raise. The uh, yeah, raise, the raise yeah. and the paycheck. I'm sure <laughs> uh, you're living high on the hog now. Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, we are interrupting our series on the Ten Commandments this week and also next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be talking about two different books actually coming out on the same day, but, uh, this book we'll, we'll talk about first, it comes out on May 1st and, uh, you'll want to order that on Amazon. In fact, you'll want to order it on Amazon before then. Now this, uh, if this podcast follows the schedule we're supposed to, uh, this, uh, May 1st will be on this upcoming Wednesday. So you got a couple of days to take advantage of a great deal. So let's, let's talk about the book first. Uh, so the next generation will know. And that's written by Sean McDowell and our guest today, uh, Jay Warner Wallace. Brother Wallace, welcome to our podcast. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. And uh, for those, you know, the the three of you out there that may not know who Brother Wallace is, he's been featured on Dateline as a cold case detective. He's a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldviews, adjunct professor of apologetics at Biola, and author of the great book, Cold Case Christianity which, uh, Ray, I know you've read and I've read, and uh, I know some of my kids have watched the, uh, the kids' programs based on that. And so, uh, Brother Wallace, thank you for taking the time. And can you just kind of give us a little bit about your testimony? Uh, again, for those who, who might not be familiar with you, how uh, you came to, to embrace the gospel and, and the faith. Uh, yeah, I wasn't raised in a Christian environment, so so for me, uh, I didn't really take it very seriously. Uh, most of the Christians I knew, if you asked them kind of penetrating questions about why they trusted the Bible or why they believed God exists, to be honest, the, the answers I would get from the few Christians I did know were not great. Mm-hmm. I did know a few cops at the time. I was about 35 when I first started looking at this, but I didn't have any Christians in my own family. I didn't have any friends, I would say close friends, who were Christians who ever really talked about it. So for me, I just applied the skill set I had. You know, when you work, um, I work mostly cold cases in my career. These are events, murders from the past that we don't uh, have access sometimes to the witnesses who might have been available back in 1979 when this thing occurred. Uh, and then you have somebody maybe who interviews that, that witness 30 years ago. And even that person now who, who interviewed the witness may not be available to you. So what you have are these supplemental reports written by detectives 30 years ago who you no longer have access to, interviewing uh, witnesses who you also don't have access to. Well, what does that really sound like? It's, it's the Gospels, right? right? So I just took the approach I had working cold cases, working any investigation of the past. And remember, uh, crimes are events that occur in the past, so you were able to work those. And I just applied them to the Gospels. And as I did that, I, it, it, they, they passed the test. And so as I, I evaluated them as eyewitness accounts, I became more and more convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was who he said he was in those accounts. And that's ultimately what led me to even take the Gospels seriously and, and then eventually uh, led me to become a Christian. Hmm. You know, that, that's really that's something I've contended with. People who especially want the, the Bible to stand up to science, the scientific method, 
which, you know, of course, the assumption there is that the scientific method is the only way to find truth. And I always bring up this idea of, well, historically speaking, you cannot repeat history in the test tube. Mm. You have to you have to trust the eyewitness accounts that you have. Now, if you, you know, whether or not you can believe them, then that's, that, that brings it into the realm of history, and that's where we need to be when it comes to Christianity. Well, sure. I mean, the, the reality of it is, is that we, we can use certain forms of science. Forensic sciences are, are mm-hmm. very valuable to us when we're investigating events in the past. But, but you're right. I mean, you have to kind of be re- realistic. I think people, for the most part, uh, some of us have been summoned to jury duty. Uh, certainly, everyone seems to have um, uh, watched uh, the TV shows uh, involving uh, investigations. So I think people have this sense of, okay, I think I know what would happen if you were investigating as a crime. And that really is the way we investigate many historical claims. So I, I just try to stay in my lane and help people see that that approach is very reasonable, it's very understandable, and uh, it's relatable, you know, you, you, can, you can see the parallel pretty quickly. And, and you know, I, I became a Christian, and, and within, you know, a few years, I found myself serving in the local church where I became a Christian, and, and I started off in children's ministry because my kids were very young, and, they, you know, typically, if you're willing to serve in a children's ministry, trust me, the local church is going to snap you yeah. up. Right? <laughs> yep. So I, I did that, and then I, I went to seminary uh, as I was you know, kind of growing as a Christian to understand what it is, I, uh, the claims of Scripture, historically, how they've been evaluated, those kinds of things. And ultimately, I became a youth pastor where my kids were old enough to be in youth ministry, you know, junior high, high school years. And what I observed in that process is really the kind of, some of the stuff that we're talking about in this book, right? Because a lot of what I examined and saw was a number of young people who, in their freshman year of college, uh, walked away um, from the faith. And almost everyone who's probably listening to this today uh, can think of an anecdotal story. If it's not their own kids, it's a niece or a nephew or it's a grandchild or it's you know, somebody they know in their extended family who was maybe raised in the church or raised by Christian parents, and then ultimately um, walked away. And, and, you, and sometimes we, 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 I think, erroneously blame uh, universities. Look, I, I often thought that was the case, too, because when my first students walked away from Christianity as a youth pastor, you know, we, I had them for a year, and I came on one year in, and I had them for a year, and then I ultimately um, graduated those kids. And by maybe, I would say, as early as um, the Thanksgiving break, Certainly by Christmas break of their freshman year in college, I was hearing back from their friends who were still with me in the youth ministry that, that you know, so-and-so is no longer a Christian. Mm. And, 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 these, and I, this was very common in my group that first year. So I just knew that whatever I was doing uh, wasn't working. Yeah, I really the, think guys, yeah. that it's happening much earlier. I think it's actually okay. happening in high school. Yeah. I think that, that and, and if, you, if you do look at the surveys, and I've been collecting these surveys, as a matter of fact, our website at coldcasechristianity.com, if you go to the website and just type in the word in the search bar, uh, updated. The one updated article I update constantly is the uh, statistical research that's done on young Christians and why they're leaving and when they are leaving and how many are leaving. And so you'll see that website uh, has, a, has an article uh, there and the updated is the word you want to use. But my point is, uh, as I see this, it, that they will tell you that their their skepticism does not begin in their freshman year of college. Yeah. Their skepticism actually begins between the ages of 10 and 17. And most who are no longer Christians by the time they're in their early 20s, if you ask them, well, when did you walk out? In your head at least. When did you check out? 
They all tell you, yeah, I was I was between 10 and 17. I mean, I've told my parents, or that my parents may have expect, uh, suspected, and I, I continued to go to church with my parents, but I was already gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why we decided it was time for us to write uh, a book like this that will help uh, parents and youth pastors and Christian educators uh, teach the Christian right. worldview to the next generation. And as a Christian school teacher, I, I could I, I, I echo what you're saying. I can, I can see it already in 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 the the minds of several of our students, and uh, so I I really appreciate the way you you laid the book out um, because it's very practical, and you you kind of you address the different groups who are who are reading this, whether it's youth pastors, uh, Christian educator like myself, parents. You, you throw in some timeless truths and things like that that. That really make this um, intensely practical, but also easy to use. And I'm assuming that was that was on purpose. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, uh, Sean and I. Now, Sean McDowell is the son of Josh McDowell, and I think you, everyone should know Sean on his own right. I mean, I think it, it's he's he loves his dad, and so that's that's great. But but Sean has become quite an apologist on his own, and he's also teaching in a, a Christian school setting, high school setting, and now the last couple of years he's been at Biola, but he still teaches part time at the high school where he started years ago. And I subframe in that classroom setting. We've taken missions trips together. We've known each other for years. Uh, so that's just why we thought, let's do this book together, right? Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that um, we, we see this. We, we see the, and we, we, we've written books, like uh, Sean's written a book with his dad that he revised Josh's old evidence that demands a verdict. I've written Cold Case Christianity and God's Crime Scene and Forensic Faith. These are books they give you a lot of what. You know, what is true about yeah. this? What is the evidence for this? What is the evidence for that? This is not a book, the one we're talking about today, so the next generation will know. This is not a what book. This is a how-to book. Right. And we, you're mm-hmm. right. We, we were very intentional about that because we felt like, hey, uh, part of the questions we get is that even after we're done with an audience or a conference or a group and we've said, okay, here's what is true and here's the evidence for this, People would come up to us afterwards and say, okay, I get it. I, I need to do more to master this evidence. But here's the bigger problem for me. How do I teach this to my students, often who, who don't seem to be interested, who don't – I mean, how do I actually practically teach this? Mm-hmm. And parents will ask that question probably more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, as parents, you know, we, we cannot – you know if you're sending your – how many parents do you deal with, Kevin, who, you, who will send their kids to a Christian environment to teach – to learn, rather, and they kind of expect that you're going to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, <laughs> way, way too many. We as parents, <laughs> way too yes, many. we can kind of release that to you. <laughs> well, you know, we need to be able to master that ourselves. That's what this book tries to do. It's very practical. That's great. Um, you know, my observation, I, I'm of the boomer generation. And much older than I am. Much older than Kevin. Uh, much wiser. Yeah, much I'm wiser than Kevin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the... the, the the thing back then, I mean, I had a lot of apologetic stuff, and especially in seminary, and we had, we had uh, worldview studies back in the, in the '80s and whatnot. But, but the the emphasis then was primarily on the on the knowledge because it was apologetics back then was in response to scientism that basically said reason is all that matters, and so our response was reason that's that all that is all that matters and the approach that you and sean are taking in this book it really is a more biblical approach because jesus never wanted to do apologetics uh in a vacuum 
it was always in relationship with with other people and i think that's that's one of the main points of this the approach that you're taking is you know we've got to have this trust relationship with those yeah. we're trying to reach no you're absolutely right so, so so i think sometimes we we miss this important um dynamic of these two sides of the same coin that are attached at the hip and that is truth and relationship right so it's that's the way that you will always be more influential you'll always have more impact uh, when truth is connected to relationships so i can come in and and you know and speak to a uh, a group and um have some impact because i can share the truth but it, the longer i'm with the group or the more i can connect with the group relationally the better chance I have of really influencing the group, right? Because it's yeah. truth in the context of relationship. Now, so what that means is that we would always get these uh, requests. Uh, Sean and I, we speak around the country maybe two, three, four times a month, and we're in different group settings. Um, and afterwards, you, you, it's, it's not unusual uh, to have somebody come up and say, hey, you know, can you, can you sign a book for my, my daughter? Um, she's no longer a Christian, uh, and I just love her to, to, to hear this. She really needs this. Okay. And I will almost always say, okay, I'll, I'll be happy to, to, to sign a book for your daughter, but, but she's not going to read it. Yeah. I mean, she's not going to read it, and, and, and it's because uh, she, she doesn't know me. She doesn't want a book from Sean or, or Jim Wallace or Josh McDuff. They may at some point, but what she really probably had was a question four or five years ago when she was right. younger that she came to you for. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you as the parent have that relationship. And because you have this relationship, you can leverage relationship to actually um, right. uh, make a case for truth. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. We know, and that's why the whole book is written about what is it that defines the kind of love we have for young people right. that we should be uh, uh, expressing as Christians. And that's why the book really is chapter by chapter a different definition of what love is right. in the context mm -hmm. of young people. Uh, try to stay in that lane. I think transparency is a huge part of that. Kids today and you know, even my my daughter, who's uh, who's uh, in the room right here, is, by the yeah, way. She's in so the we room. are recording in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, even then, the, the the relationship aspect and the transparency. My kids saw that I wasn't perfect. That, that oh, they see that a lot. Well, they do, um, <laughs> especially when I'm around you. But, uh, the thing, the you thing is, the thing is. For so long, growing up in the church, we learned how to put on masks. Right. Uh, every right. Sunday morning, we you know we'd have that happy face on. We could have been fighting like cats and dogs before we got there and after we leave. But man, you're there. You'd better behave yourself, or else you're in big trouble. And that's just not real. That's not the way life is. And I don't think that's the way Jesus ever wanted us to be. But we've we've bought into that, and it's affected. I think. Uh, that and just, you know, well, we got to bring them in somehow, so we'll bring them in like the world brings them in with pizzazz and, uh, you know, fun times. Nothing wrong with fun, but uh, to develop this kind of uh, program uh, is vital to the, to the well-being of the church, I think. Yeah, and one of the things well, that... we talk about this to begin with, right? Yeah. We, we, not everyone, uh, I, I knew when we wrote this book that there would be the potential there, at least, that some people might think, well, you know, I don't have kids. And so this is great. This is a book for somebody who has kids. Well, yeah. 
I think we all have kids if we are concerned about the future of the church. Right. I mean, we, we have kids, and they are may not be your biological children, but, but they are, I mean, everyone bemoans or, or um, uh, the cries, the, the, the kind of shrinking of the church. You know, we, we see it. We see the statistics on it. Uh, we can kind of try to maneuver around those statistics, but the truth is um, that, that really we, we see that the church is, those who identify, self-identify as Christians, that number is shrinking. Right. And it's shrinking every year. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, well, what do, what do we, are we, are we going to do anything about it? Are we just going to think it's a church problem, or the church leadership problem? Or do we, as Christians who are in the church, feel any sense of, hey, if I could do something about it, what would it be? I think that, that you and I know, raising kids, that there was a time, and I talk about this in the very first uh, preface of the book, that there was a time when I was willing to make compromises, to do things I didn't want to even do, because I knew it was in the best interest of, of my kids. I would go to the restaurant that they preferred over or we could afford. And not the restaurant I wanted to go to. It wasn't the vacation I really wanted to take. It wasn't the movie that I really wanted to see. But I made choices because I knew that I had young people whose interests I needed to place above yeah. my own. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're in the church, and we're a family, and we have young people. And we got to ask the question, do you care if they're a Christian 20 years from now? If that's the case, we have to make decisions now. That are, it may mean you have to put your interest, oh, I don't like that kind of music. I don't really want that message series, really. You know, I, that doesn't really help me. I, oh, really? Okay, so, so you were willing to do that for your biological children. You're not willing to do that for your spiritual yeah. children. I think in the end, that's what we're trying to do with this book is to say, hey, um, we, we want to give you some approaches and help you to recognize that this is not just somebody else's problem. Right. Um, this is all of our problem. Even if right now, like I'm, I've got grown children, I don't have any grandchildren yet. So I could, I guess, say, well, it's not my problem anymore. Well, actually, it is. Because mm-hmm. if there are junior hires and high schoolers in the church, and I'm part of that church family, but I've got kids again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things, uh, again, right on about the relationship, uh, being able to, uh, in terms I've used before, you, you got to kind of build up some, some uh, currency before you start speaking yeah. truth into people's lives. And, right. and, and as you build that relationship, you realize, and it took me, I, I, I'm sad to say, it's sad to say, it took me a while to figure this out, but teenagers today aren't just little adults that grew up the same way I did. Mm. And so I expect the right. same things, I expect them to think the same way I do and to approach life the, the, the way I did. But uh, as you really, in the first part of this book, you, you do a great job of exposing the fact that this is a different world. This isn't the world that I grew up in. It's not the world I can necessarily relate to. And, and I, I've already become, you know, I'm, I'm not as old as some people in this room, but I've already become, you know, the old curmudgeon that I, you know, I hate your haircut and you need to uh, hate your music and whatnot. But Get rid of the nose ring. Yeah. Um, but uh, even in, in, in more simple ways, you, just living in a post-9-11 world, living, as you call, uh, their digital uh, natives, Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, they didn't have to, uh, some of these things are just beyond me. But as you build that relationship, you begin to see the worldview that they already have to some degree and that you can you yeah. can build upon. No, absolutely. Spend some time in the early part of the book. And I, I think this is, you're right, when we raise, and this has probably been true for every single generation of parents, you know, all of us are kind of like, so what, really? We didn't do it that way when we were growing up. I, I think every generation says that. So it's worth our time. Mm-hmm. at least initially, to talk about, well, what is it that defines what we've come to call Gen Z? 
Yeah. And, and that's something that uh, is, is really important for us. We want to be able to do that in one chapter. The one thing that you said that is probably at the top of everyone's list who's doing any work with this generation is that Gen Z is most consistently described as digital natives. Now, why is that important? Well, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, first of all, it's important for us to understand why they face a challenge that maybe we didn't face until later. You know, it used to be that the eight, uh, about 85% of Christians would become Christians by the age of 18, that 85 by 18 principle, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you weren't a Christian by the age of 18, you had a 15% chance after that. Because why? Well, I think for the most part because people uh, encountered the objections to Christianity, the, the, the diversity of other religious worldviews, all of that a lot of people discovered for the first time when they were in college. Now that principle is kind of like 85 by around 13. It's dropped yeah. five years, and, and that, those statistics are troubling. But they're, they're there for a reason, and that's because um, we are now encountering this kind of uh, diversity of belief. Uh, before we ever get to university, we were, you know, as long as that glowing rectangle is at the end of your arm, uh, you're going to have access to the entire, we're in an information age. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, this is, this is helpful for us to know. Here's why I say that. It's, it's, our young people are exposed now to more informational opportunities than any generation prior. They got a question, you can you can search for it right. um, and get the answer. And, and but here's what they we discovered is that of all the generations, these are probably the least trusting. Yeah. Even though they have access to tons of information, the problem is who do you trust? I mean, yeah. all these websites look pretty much legitimate, right? They they, they, have, they have, in many ways they look one was as good as the other. Mm -hmm. So so it's it's really a question of well, who do I trust for this? This is why. Truth in the context of relationship is even more important than it ever has been before because what the internet offers is truth and no relationship. Or the relationship is so skewed yeah. that young people are trying to understand what they, how to even navigate that part of it. Yeah, and that's... You, though, as, a, as the parent, as the youth pastor, as the Christian educator, have the opportunity to, to, to fill in one side of that equation because it's in the context of your relationship that you'll be able to uh, make a difference in their lives. Exactly. I think that, um, you know, I've experienced this some with my son, especially, who has it. He would tell me he's got more friends based on an Internet connection of some kind than yeah. personal yeah. friends. And, I, and, and, you know, he's in his 30s. So I'm like, how is that? It, it does. It boggles my mind because that's not my own experience. And yet I see how it can be done because... You've got anything and everything that you want at your fingertips at a moment's notice. And that yep. that that technology, is, I mean, it's helpful if it's used in the right way, but it can also be very damaging. And uh, we, we're just very, we need to redeem that uh, for Christ as much as we possibly right. can. But that means knowing our stuff, too, and not yeah. being afraid to open our lives up well, to our kids. Well, that kind of gets into the second part of the book, and I want to get to because our, our time is slipping away. Never. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, chapter 5 uh, it begins the second part. I think it, just chapter 5 alone is, is worth the price of the book. Um, as Again, as, as a Christian school teacher, I teach teenagers all the time that there's the number one problem I face is apathy. And you address yeah. that here in this book, and... Um, you, you, your basic premise is the idea they're apathetic because they don't want to just know what, but they want to know why. And you, you offer the equation, you've got to yeah. give two whys for every what. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, this is the thing that we that used to think that maybe the biggest, well, you know, for traditionally in my generation, for example, I mean, I was an atheist, and the biggest challenge to Christianity was probably simply, um, simply the uh, challenge of atheism. Now, I think that's changed. Uh, I think what we're seeing now is the biggest challenge to theism, maybe is the apatheism, is this, this mm-hmm. movement of how do I get people to give, give a lick at all. So so I think that one of the ways we, we've, we've looked at this as both youth pastors and teachers, like how do we, how do we navigate that problem? So, so I think one way you can navigate it is to simply make one simple, subtle change. We talk about it at length in this chapter. But it will, I think, change the way you, you, stop, you talk to your kids you teach your students in, 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 uh, in high school, and even you mentor your students and in, in youth, youth pastor it, and that is this. Shift from just telling them what, we do this a lot in Bible studies, right? You, you open up the Bible study, and, and you're going to proclaim what does the Scripture teach on X, Y, and Z. Great. But we are in a generation now that has more access to information. So number one, they've got all kinds of detailed access to information. And number two, every voice is shouting at the same volume. So I would suggest giving two whys for every what. In other words, what does Scripture teach about this issue? That's a what. First why. Okay. Why should I believe that's true? Now, sometimes that means you're going to make a case for this theological claim from Scripture. Sometimes it means, though, you're going to have to make a case for that claim from more than just the scripture, you know, from, from human experience, from evidence that's outside the scripture, there's lots of ways to make a, a, a case for a claim. And so, so young people, I think, want to know, okay, don't just tell me what you think is right. Don't just tell me something. Tell me why you think it's right. Give me some, because I'll tell you what, the other side is definitely doing that. The other side is going to present scientific evidence, quote unquote, they're going to present studies, they're going to present all kinds of reasons why I should embrace this truth claim because it has been proven in some way. Okay, fine. Let's do the same thing on this side. Number two, second why. You might be able to explain to me what is true about this theological principle, what is true about the history of Christianity, and you might even be able to explain to me why, based on what evidence you believe is true. Now the second why is basically, okay, fine, so why should I care? Mm-hmm. Okay, you might say, for example, that the, the Christian claims about the, the Godhead is that the God is triune in nature, we believe in the Trinity. That's a what claim. Now, can you show me why we believe that? Like, why should I embrace it? There are actually a large number of people who self-identify as Christians who do not, do not actually accept that claim. Now, they may not be Christians by the Orthodox definition, but they would self-identify as Christians. We want to be able to show our young people why that claim is, is supported. Not only, listen, I can actually make a claim for a, a case for that, just philosophically. Forget about um, uh, through Scripture, but I want to do both. Then the question is, okay, so what? So, so why does that change my life? How does that even impact my life? Who, who cares? Who cares if God is trying it? Why does that matter over, say, uh, what Muslims believe about Allah? Well, why should I care that God is trying it? This is the kind of stuff that would change everything with young people if we just shifted from what to the what's plus the two why's. And that's where I think we'll ignite passion. But, but you know this, Kevin, as well as anybody else, probably, that, that a lot of what we talk about when it comes to passion is about, about are we passionate? Are yeah. we passionate as, and I know this as a teacher, it's hard because we have a ratio of you like, like 30 to 35, depending on where you are. You might have that many students in your classroom. That's kind of hard, right? When you put the ratios down, you actually have a better chance to think of, 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 of passing on passion. But, but I will tell you this, uh, I often will see youth pastors who will come to me and say to me that, hey, um, 
my kids don't seem like they're all, they care. They're not that passionate. And then when I go and watch the interaction, I realize, well, wow, they're catching that top down. So we have to be really animated and passionate. Like we want, we, this has to be the most important thing in our lives. Mm-hmm. If we're going to hope that, that others are going to take it on as the most important thing in their lives. Mm-hmm. So a lot, I try to give you strategies in that chapter five, aside from just the two whys for every what, but strategies that I hope will help you reignite the passion in the young people you're trying mm-hmm. to lead. Well, we haven't even got through half the book yet. We're already at the close of the program. Oh, wow. So you, what you need to do is go out and buy the book. <laughs> Again, um, the title of our book is So the Next Generation Will Know by Sean McDowell and our guest, uh, Jay Warner Wallace. And if you, if you sign up today, if you, if you go to Amazon or, or pre-purchase the book, there is a deal that you can get, and I want to encourage you to get that. Um, when you pre-order, you can get PDF youth training articles. There's audio discussions. Uh, on mp3 there's youth training videos there's powerpoint presentations so you want to take advantage of that as soon as possible um so you can you can get really the full impact of this and so uh brother wallace again thank you for for joining us and are there any other closing thoughts you want to throw in here for people who are considering buying this book or just uh going through this problem of keeping our our youth within the faith yeah, I, I do think it's a matter of how prepared are we. Because if we're, if we're suggesting you're going to shift from just giving what to, to two whys for every what, then the question becomes, well, how prepared are we to give the whys, right. right? So it's going to mean we're going to have to raise our game a little bit. But if there's any – we already have raised our game. Right now it's the NBA ch- uh, final or the finals, but the playoffs, right? right. And there's people I know who can tell you everything about the different teams that are involved in playoffs. We've invested time in something. All we have to do now is reappropriate that time into the things that really matter so we can do the best we can for our kids. Um, and, and just one final thought. I heard you say earlier in the program that you've often subbed for uh, Sean McDowell in his class. Uh, you're always welcome to sub for me in my class, <laughs> just to throw that out there. Um, now, keep in mind that part of the reason why I would, chef, I, I would sub for Sean was because I have a daughter who was in his class in high school. Uh. So I had a vested interest. So if you get one of my kids in your school, I'm in. All right, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but <laughs> thanks again for, uh, for being on here. And I wonder, we always recommend uh, resources at the end of each program. So, of course, we're recommending uh, this book so the next generation will know. We'll also recommend uh, Brother Wallace's other books, including uh, Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene and Forensic Faith. And again, you want to check out the, the Case Makers Academy as well. Uh, I, I've used it in, in, with my ministry, and I think it'll be profitable for yours as well. Um, and so, Dr. Wallace, again, thank you. Or uh, Dr. Wallace, I just gave you a doctorate, so I... I... That's okay. I'm not a DR. I'm a DET, Detective Wallace. <laughs> well, you have the official Basic Bible Podcast honorary doctoral degree. Um, <laughs> the first one, I believe. The first we've ever given, so... <laughs> all right, thanks for joining us, and thanks all of you for joining us as well. Don't forget to check out our website. We'll have a link to all these uh, books on the website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. Again, check us out at Twitter at uh, Basic Biblecast. Anna, do you want to close out with any thoughts or anything? I hear you trying to give away my job. You want him to sub for you. I'm your sub. <laughs> okay, well, um, when you start writing books, we'll, we'll talk. All right. Thanks again for for joining us. And uh, next week, we'll get we'll, we're, we're 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 taking a brief hiatus from our Ten Commandments series. We'll be talking about another book, uh, Competing Spectacles, by Tony Renke. And uh, Ray will be back with us to do that. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.